You're listening to the iHeartRadio Talk Network, and this is The Evan Solomon Show. Happy Thursday, coast to coast to coast. There's lots going on. Um, What a bonanza of a news day with the end of an era for Jason Kenney. We're going to dig into that, and I'll give you my, my view on that in a minute. And on the federal scene, a longtime conservative, the finance critic for the party, steps down. Ed Fast. And I spoke to Ed this morning. I'm going to give you the details on that. And it is day three of a whirlwind tour of Prince Charles. And we've got uh, Peter Donolo, who used to be the former communications director for Jean Chrétien, who's going to join us to say, scrap the monarchy. I, I, and I have some views on that. The war room is going to reconfigure because of the crazy political news. There is a case of monkeypox in Canada. Dr. Bogosh, our infectious disease specialist. Seriously, monkeypox? Let me just tell you on the old bingo card of hell, which has been the last two and a half years, monkeypox not on there. I don't know what your bingo card from hell was like. It's like, okay, COVID, war. Recession, inflation. Hands up if you had the old monkey pox. I don't even know what it is, but we're going to find out. Should you be freaking out about the monkey pox? I'll tell you something, disease people. These names are getting crazy. Monkey pox? I just feel like they're, they're pitching these horror movies in... Hollywood, and they're like, this is going to be, you know, on the tail end of a horrific pandemic that has killed over a million people. A second virus comes. We call it the monkeypox. Like, no, no one's going to believe that. That's a stupid name. It's too on the nose. Monkeypox. Come on now. Oh, no, this is true. Oh, this has got pustules and lesions on your mouth, tongue, and genitalia. No, we're not producing that movie. It's too gross. Oh, no, it's not a movie. It's true. So we'll find out. Anyway. And then and then Dan Riskin's going to jump on board to tell us that there's a brain-altering parasite that makes you seem attractive. I don't even know what that means either. A brain-altering parasite that makes you seem attractive. Ugh. Okay, a couple things. And I just want to say something on a personal note. Someone, by the way, just texted me on your bingo card from hell, Evan. By the way, you could text me what else is on your bingo card from hell. Should we just have something called the bingo card from hell? The BCFH. What is on your bingo card from hell? Someone just texted me on their bingo card from hell. Murder hornets. Yeah, yeah. I'd say that has the bingo card from hell. Yeah. Murder hornets. Sure. Sure. Put it on the bingo card from hell. Why not? Good call. Uh, text me on that one, Seven ten ten. I would just say this. Um, am I slightly distracted today? Yes. Why? My oldest child, my daughter, is going tree planting tomorrow, and she's flying up to um, northern Ontario past Thunder Bay, and she'll be gone for a couple months. Um, and she's getting ready to tree plant. Now, I was a tree planter up north. I loved tree planting. 
It's a terrible job. If you want jobs from hell, probably a tree planting. I happen to love it. I loved being a tree planter and a foreman, and it was a great job. A lot of my friends did it. I loved it. I didn't mind it. You're in the bush. You're living in a tent. It's buggy. I just, things I like. I had no problem with it. And I always, and, and, and I always kind of maybe talked about it the way parents talk to kids when you romanticize things that were actually kind of crappy, but because you've done it in your sort of vain, egotistical way, you kind of pretend everything you did was great because that's the way people talk about their lives. Well, I was a tree planter and it was really tough, but I loved it. You know, you always say stuff like that. It was horrible, but I did it. And because you did it, you think it's great and you wish that everyone could follow your somehow fake heroic pathway because it always ends up as the best possible path of all ways, even though it wasn't. It was just your random path that you're trying to rationalize. So in my years of romanticizing the buggy, difficult tree planting job that I love doing. My daughter has now joined with another one, one of my best friend's daughters, and they're going up to tree plant. First year, you know? And now I'm thinking to myself, why didn't I romanticize taking a good job at a bank? Why didn't I romanticize her? Like, why, why do I want her in the bush for two months? It's a nightmare. And the karma train is hitting me. And now all those things that I thought I was sort of that sort of parental bravura, now I've wished it on my kids, and now I don't know if I like it. Anyway. It's just one of those moments where, you know, your kid is actually following in your footsteps a bit, your bootsteps in this case, and I don't know if I like it. Anyway, last night I'm thinking about that because I was with her and she's packing and she's oiling up the leather boots and she's got the tent ready and she's, you know, she's got to get the bug stuff. There's bugs up there and she's got to get a bug jacket and she's got to make sure she's warm and she's got like, there's a lot you got to get through. You're living in a tent for two and a half months. It's, 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 it's for real. Right. And so we're getting ready. Meantime, the news is breaking. Jason Kenny resigns. Now I had spoken to Jason Kenny. About 10 days ago. And I said, how much do you need to survive, Jason? And he said, it was on CTV's question period. And he said, you know, this is a leadership review. The guy who founded the United Conservative Party of Canada stitches this party together and had a, you know, he's about as conservative as it gets, right? Who's more conservative than Jason Kenney? Uh, But during COVID, he wasn't conservative enough for about 18 members of the United Conservative Party who hate all mandates. They were basically not liking any government action that locked down. They didn't like masks. And so he was not right enough for them. Which you probably have never heard about Jason Kenney. And he faced a leadership review and he told me, if I get 50 plus one, I'll survive. And I said to him, but that's a... There's no way you can survive at 50 plus one. Former premiers in Alberta, like Ed Stelmack and Allison Redford, got 77% on their review, and they got the boot. They had to resign. Ralph Klein, your putative hero, famously only got 55%. 55, that wasn't enough. Joe Clark, 1983? 1983, 66.9%. 66 points didn't survive. You need, you need about 77, 70 to 80% to even maybe 75 to 80% to survive. So we got 50 plus one 
and he resigns. Now, he remains the premier. But listen to this world. You've got a guy named Jason Kenney, served with Harper, unites the Conservative Party, and is not conservative enough for about 18 members, and he doesn't get... Now, there's lots of reasons why he blew it, but that's one of them. This, the, the revolt against Kenny was driven by people who thought he was not conservative enough. And then Edward Ed Fast, who served under Stephen Harper, who was the finance critic of the Conservative Party of Canada federally, has told me and others that inside his own party, he was being pressed to criticize the Bank of Canada and follow the Pierre Polyevre, I'm criticizing the governor, I'm criticizing the bank, and blaming inflation on monetary policy like the boogeyman of the bank. He wouldn't do it, and he resigned. Now he's co-chairing the Charest campaign, but is there a place... And he's worried, and others are worried, is there a place for cons- for people like Aaron O'Toole, knifed in the front and the back? Ed Fast served with Harper. So did, by the way, O'Toole. And now Jason Kenney. Is there a place for these people in this evolving sense of conservatism? And they are deeply concerned that this move to the right, and I'm quoting Ed Fast, will leave no place for him. So we're going to talk about that today. What does it mean to be a conservative? And then you look at Ontario and Doug Ford saying, I'm going to win going the other way. I'm going to tack to the center. All right, we're going to take a break. When we co- The war room's going to stand by to talk about that, but it is day three of the monarchy, and someone who worked for the prime minister says, sorry, time to say goodbye to the crown. Making sense of the latest news. You're listening to The Evan Solomon Show. It is day three of the royal visit celebrating the uh, platinum jubilee, 70 years on the throne for Queen Elizabeth. Prince Charles and his wife, the Duchess of Cornwall, Camilla, uh, had been in Newfoundland and Labrador. They stopped for a uh, day in Ottawa. And now they're uh, in Yellowknife, and then they're going to be in the Northwest Territories, and that's three days, talking about climate change, literacy, and Crown Indigenous relations. Um, Look, I I don't get this. I'll be candid in the sense, if you're going to celebrate the Jubilee, why come through Canada in for three days? Normally, they're eight- or ten-day visits. There's been no mania. This was kind of like, Charles is going to be the king one day. And he's trying to, but if you're going to charm Canadians, is this the way to do it on this? I mean, I was in Ottawa. I I went to see him and there was no mania. Now, some are saying, look, this is, uh, there's lots of things to talk about in the world, but not ditching the monarchy. But Peter Donolo, the former director of communications for Prime Minister Kretsch, uh, he is somebody who says it is time. Just get over it. Let's ditch the monarchy. And he, and he joins us now. Peter Dinola, good to have you on the program. Hi, Evan. Why do you think it's... I know other members of the Commonwealth, Barbados, Jamaica, they're, they're getting rid of the monarchy, but it has been, for many people, a source of traditional stability in our democracy um, since 1867. Why should we get rid of it? 
Well, listen, Evan, you know, I've opposed monarchy, you know, basically all my life and for two reasons. One is it's a fundamentally undemocratic institution, totally at odds with the values we have as a democratic society. These people are born into high office. It passes through their bloodline, and that's against everything we stand for. Secondly, to add insult to injury, they're foreigners. They're not Canadians. And, you know, they've lit here for three days, as you said, uh, to kind of, uh, you know, smile on us beatifically and then take off again. And we're all supposed to nod like good colonials. I think it's insulting. I think it's, you know, antediluvian, you know, ancient. And it's, you know, we've moved, we dropped so many of these British um, uh, traditions, uh, you know, through the decades. And it's time for this one. But but the problem is, of course, we're like, you know, we're like the the teen, the, the, the grow, adult kids living in the parents' basement in this sense. It's just too much trouble to do away with it because we need a constitutional amendment. We need a constitutional uh, amendment. But the other thing is... The Queen, 70 years. Canadians well, so love the Queen. Hats, hats off to her. She's, in a remar- she's a remarkable woman, and she's given this, this institution, this rickety old anachronism, you know, 70 years or 60 years of, of life that it wouldn't have had otherwise because of people just, you know, like her. But I think, you know, let's take a page from the, uh, from the uh, NHL. When she goes, let's retire the jersey. Speaking of Peter Dinolo, when she goes, let's retire the jersey, there's a lot of people here that don't want to retire the jersey. They like the tradition of the queen. They like the stabilize. They like the tradition. They know now it's symbolic and they say symbols matter. It doesn't, you know, the queen, there's no political power. We're a democracy. We've, uh, you know, repatriated the Constitution, as you know better than anyone else. You were there for that. So, so what's the problem? So, I wasn't. That, I'm not that old. I wasn't there for the patriation. <laughs> Repatriation, you know, they, yeah. with the '80s. <laughs> yeah, but uh, listen, here's my here's my my answer on that one. It's you know, all these same arguments faced Lester Pearson in 1964, 65, when uh, people when he was he when he was introduced the Canadian flag, and you know, everyone said, "Oh, it's dishonoring our past. We have these traditions, these ties." And he said, "You honor the past, but you live in the present and plan for the future." And that's really what we need to do. Listen, so many institutions we have a, as a country, we inherited from the British system, and they've served us well, continue to serve us well. Our parliamentary system, uh, you know, the, our form of government really works well in Canada. You don't have to change that. Uh, and, you know, our country, our history is a history of adaptation, uh, taking strains from around the world. Obviously, the first ones were from France uh, and, and uh, later Britain. And... And, you know, adapting to this history and this, uh, to this geography. And we started this journey, uh, you know, 150 years ago of independence. This is really the last vestige. And I don't buy the argument that, you know, I hear all the time that, well, you know, if we don't, if we do away with the monarch, what are we going to replace it with? We'd be like the Americans. No, no, we're not like the Americans. We know in our core we're not like the Americans. We wouldn't have to have a president. We could have the governor general as, as uh, the, the formal head of state. The way the governor general selected, maybe we want to change that in terms of have the governor general selected by parliamentarians, not general election. But, uh, you know, the way, for example, the head of state in Israel or um, or Italy or Germany is elected uh, by parliamentarians. Yeah, but somebody but, might say there, you just said Israel and Italy. Those guys, they go through government faster than I go through uh, cookies. Yeah, but the president or the head of state in those countries is is really well regarded primarily because of that and they go through governments because not because of their head of state, but because they have proportional representation. Uh, uh, 
uh, electoral systems. And if you want to have me back on the show one day to dump on that, I'll be happy to do that. You can dump on, oh, you're going to dump on that too. But let let me ask you something as you're dumping on the monarchy here. Um, Okay. I will say this, seeing Charles, uh, Prince Charles and his wife, the Duchess here, there was no mania. It did feel like I was watching, you know, it was kind of like a long marriage where you just see that couple sitting at a table and they're going through the motions. They're not into it anymore. They like each other a lot, but they're no longer in love. It almost seems like this was, I don't know, you know, if this was a celebration of 70 years, whipping through the country with only a few speeches uh, didn't seem like a lot. It didn't seem like there's a lot of romance here so he can say, hey, I I shall be your king soon. It looked like, I don't know, was this the end of a, a marriage? I, I don't know the end of you know, the marriage between Canada and the monarchy. Yeah, I mean, they're checking a box. It's kind of uh, it's desultory because no one's into it anymore. And, you know, you could say, oh, well, you know, with uh, whoever's next, uh, uh, what's his name, uh, William and Kate, that people would be excited about that. Listen, if all it's reduced to is some form of uh, of celebrity worship, there's already plenty of that in our culture, as there is. And leave that to Hello Magazine and People Magazine. But are you, are you let me ask you something. Are yeah. you, and I'm speaking to Peter Janolo. The way you talk about what's his name and why, there are people who are furious at your disrespect, how how you're tossing aside, uh, you know, the monarchy that has been with us from our beginning. Listen, a lot of practices were with us at our beginning, and we shed them. Women couldn't vote. Indigenous people didn't get the right to vote in Canada until the 1960s, within my lifetime. So, you know, there are practices that need to change, and I don't think you worship someone or pay... Out, uh, you know, uh, pay huge homage to them just because they're born into a bloodline. This is never going to happen. Will it happen? Will oh, any politician happen. take? There's a lot of Republican repo- politicians. Will anyone take this on? It'll happen. It'll happen over time. You know, we'll lose interest and it'll be, you know, we've already, as a society, you know, before I was born, people used to sing God Save the Queen at, at the sporting events and movie theaters. Uh, look at the Queen. It's all where the Queen's portrait used to be on uh, and every post office on banknotes and coins. That's no longer the case. So this has been happening, you know, over the last few decades. And it'll happen, you know, there are some theories, actually, that Edward McQuinney, who was an MP, but also more known as a as a legal scholar in British Columbia he believed that that actually you don't need a constitutional amendment that what you, that what all that needs to happen is that parliament parliament at the death of a monarch has to meet to proclaim the new monarch for Canada that's a, that's a tradition uh, that I believe began with Elizabeth and and if parliament were simply to refuse to do that you know, we would have basically a uh, the, the the office would wither away from disuse, and disuse, as you know, is a constitutional is a constitutional theory that that actually is pretty hardcore. You are not withering away from disuse. The busy Peter Danolo, former director of comms for <laughs> Prime Minister Kretchen, none of us, everyone fears withering away from disuse is the great fear of all people. Uh, thank you, my friend. Uh, so 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 on a day on the third day of the royal tour, the old discussion comes back up, but. You know, if there was enthusiastic crowds, I would say, Danolo, you're you're screaming into the void. But uh, I don't know if that, I don't know if that's true anymore. As uh, as as there's a shift coming. Thanks, Peter. Thanks, Evan. Bye bye, Peter Danolo. Someone just texted me. I despise the lavish residences and expensive cars and clothing given to the royals. It's excessive and must stop. They are servants of the people, not oligarchs. Well. Royalty is not servants of the people, just for the record. Parliamentarians are. Royalty is a different world. 
And, and does it have a place in our world? All right, we'll take a break. Man, Danola doesn't hold back, does he? Uh, when we come back, a member of an Alberta MLA on axing Jason Kenney inside the war room. As your world changes, we adapt to get your answers. Now more with Evan Solomon. The Battle of Alberta happened on two places last night. It first took place in Calgary in a wild Game 1 after more than 30 years where the Flames faced the Oilers and somehow managed a 9-6 win. They were up by four goals twice. Absolutely wild game. And guess what? It was the second wildest thing to happen in Alberta last night. The wildest thing happened after that game was Jason Kenney in his leadership review getting only 50 plus one sad trombone sound. And now he is resigning as the leader of the United Conservative Party. But no one knows what's now. Is he going to stay on as the premier? Yes. And will he run again? We don't know. That is why we are going to bring in the war room with a special guest. Let me be perfectly clear. Putting out misinformation. And we hear that. Misleading politics. It's really important here. Spreading it online. Unequivocally. The War Room. Zane Velge, political campaign strategist and partner at Northweather. Tom Mulcair will join us in a minute. He's on uh, CTV right now. Um, and Tim Powers, chairman of Summa Strategies, joins us. But our special guest for this round is Drew Barnes. Now, Drew Barnes is an Alberta MLA for Cypress Medicine Hat. He was booted out of the United Conservative Party by Jason Kenney. So a lot of members want him back just last year. He had been one of the leader, leaders of the critics of Jason Kenney. So welcome, everyone. A good morning and a good early morning in Alberta. Let's start with you, Drew Barnes. What do you make of uh, Jason Kenney and, and the results of that remarkable vote? Uh, good morning, Evan. Good morning, everyone. Uh, yeah, what an opportunity this is for Albertans, for fiscal conservatives out here to heal, to reunite, to to work together. Uh, the specific vote itself, uh, Premier Kenny said it accurately when he said uh, he wasn't granted a, a mandate that uh, you know would allow him to continue. Uh, you know, and uh, and the opportunity for for change is now. Uh, is now there, and, and I'm looking forward to being a, being a part of that. Okay, well, if you get welcome back, but how long does Jason Kenney remain Premier? Do you think he runs again? Who's the front-runner to take over that party, Mr. Burns? Well, I, I have no idea if he runs, runs again. The caucus is meeting here at 11 o'clock, which is 20 minutes from now. Um, this needs to be, be Jason Kenney's last day as, as Premier. Uh, it's time to pick an interim leader. It's time for Albertans and Conservatives to heal, reunite, and have a return to, to a focus on, on what's important here in Alberta. Um, you know, it, it, cost of living is, is through the roof. It is so tough for so many families right now, and that's utilities and insurance and, and competitive things that the government can do do to make it but, better. But you know, Drew, you know, so, some people say that Jason Kenney was conservative on every issue, but for guys like you, not conservative enough on mandate or not far enough on mandates and on um, you know, it was all about 
COVID and that on economic policies, he was quite conservative. And, and, and the worry is that your party is going to fracture and go too far to the right. What's your sense of that? Well, you know, of course, you know, this is an opportunity we all have to work together. But but I disagree with that. Um, oil and gas royalties two years ago in Alberta were $3 billion. This year, they're $13 billion. Uh, and next year, they could be as high as 17 or $18 billion, Evan. And Premier Kenny's been running around sprinkling corporate welfare, buying votes everywhere. That is against the, the culture and the green of, of Albertans. Uh, you know, we, we, our small businesses have so struggled. Small business tax in Alberta, our 2% on top of the 10% we pay to Ottawa, is only about $170 million a year. Let's give them a break and, and let's end that. Mm. We're the only province that pays Tier 1 carbon tax. Our, our heavy emitters, our fertilizer producers, our oil sands companies pay billions uh, into creating renewables. At the same time, seniors can't afford their utilities. Let's redirect that money to make it so, so seniors can afford. These, you know, and you couple that, Evan, with the fact that Premier Kenny's leadership style of listening to no one uh, and not engaging caucus, not engaging Al- Albertans, um, resulted in, in you know, almost 50% of mm. Albertans yesterday. His club saying it was time to go. Uh, that's Drew Barnes. Stay with us, Drew. Uh, I want Zane to weigh in. What happened, Zane, last night, and what are the implications of it? Yeah, I mean, I don't know how many people had he's going to win and then actually leave on their bingo card, right? Generally, when you get something in the 50s, that's what happens. But every indication was was that he wasn't going to leave it had that uh, happening. And, of course, he's gone now. Well, kind of, to your earlier point. And the question really here is what's right for Jason Kenney versus what's right for this party? And as, as listeners to this show know, this is not my party. I'm on the other side so to speak, with the Alberta NDP. But it's fascinating to see how Jason Kenney might be looking for a soft landing spot now because what today's caucus meeting, as Drew outlined, is very much going to be outlined with Kenney saying, let me stay, I'll be the bridge, economic conditions on a macro level still continue to be good, I'll take the, 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 the warm blanket, so to speak, that has already started today with people saying, you know, congratulations for your leadership, bringing this party together. I'll continue and put, tie a ribbon on my legacy and I'll get a soft landing somewhere else, whether that's, uh, you know, in the private sector here or, or, or in another jurisdiction. And so I think right now what we're going to see is a couple of things. How deep is that tension in the, in the caucus? Do they want him gone right away or, are one of the, or was one of the conditions or is there some leverage that Kenny has to leave on his own terms? And secondly, uh, who are the people that start uh, now emerging as, as front runners in this leadership race? Because, that is happening regardless. Let's not lose sight of, you know, whatever Jason Kenny does. The leadership race is happening regardless. And there are some front runners inside that caucus and inside that cabinet that haven't tipped at all, haven't said anything that many have known across this province mm. are certainly talking, plotting and planning. Yeah. I mean, Jason Kenny thinks he can stay on for three months, Tim. I, I'd be stunned. Um, you know, you have a young son. It's like when your kid hides in the cupboard and closes his eyes and says, you can't see me. It's like, we can see you, man. I don't know what world you're in. I feel like Jason Kenny's doing that. But what's your read about that? Well, two things. I've known Jason for over 20 years, as you know, Evan. And on a personal level, he's a lovely fellow. He's kind, one of the nicest fellows that I got with my dad. I Jason Kenny. Timmy, we're we're losing you a bit on your phone. Hang hang in there. I want to hear this. Me now? Yeah, we got you better. Go for it. 
Sorry, I said, I've known Jason for 20 years. Uh, on a personal level, kindest, most decent fellow you can meet. When my dad died, lovely note from him. But it's always amazed me that he's never been able to translate that into his political persona. I'm with Mr. Burns on a lot of Jason's undoing is less his um, pursuit of ideology or lack of commitment to it, depending where you look at, and so much of style. Jason has cut his political teeth by being the no-surrender guy, unrelenting, unwilling to learn. It's his way or it's the highway. And I think the pandemic didn't help him. And if he takes that approach to thinking he's going to run again, I think that will be very detrimental to him. He can go now, have a timeout, potentially come back in another time in another place doing something else. But if Jason takes one lesson from all of this, it's that sometimes it's okay to walk away and understand what happened as opposed to project what you think should be. I got a minute here for you, Mr. Barnes. The rest of the crew is going to come back. Uh, Do you have any idea who's going to take over? Um, No, I I do not, but that's part of the renewable process. Uh, I mean, there's a couple of people that have put their names forward from from outside. Uh, There's been lots of speculation that a leadership race could be 10 to 15 people. Uh, First step, though, is let's get back to listening to Albertans. Well, Uh, sorry, is the first step, though, like what if he says today, I'd like to stay on for a month? What happens? I'm not. He he has to go. Uh, He he clearly said last night that, uh, you know, that it was time to go. That he, that he didn't get the mandate required. And Evan, let's not forget, you know, three years ago, he got 55% of all Albertans supporting him. Now he couldn't get 52% of his own club where yeah. he had, uh, you know, you know, there's also the, you know, the rumor of, of 4,600 memberships being sold on six credit cards. A lot of rural people got their ballots laid. There's all those things that are still surrounding this uh, this leadership review from the results yesterday. Yeah. No, the the best way for all Albertans to heal is for Jason Kenny to leave today. Drew Barnes, I'll see you tonight on Power Play Alberta MLA for uh, Cypress Medicine Hat, and one of the people saying Jason Kenny, time to go. Well, he's gone. We'll find out. Zane, Tom, and Tim, we're going to stick around on that. Is conservatism at a crossroad? What about federally with Ed Fast resigning? Lots to pick up on. Stay with us. Finding answers to all your questions. You're listening to The Evan Solomon Show. Let's just say it's been wild. The Battle of Alberta on the rink last night, as I say, was the second craziest thing that happened in Alberta. 9-6 for the Flames over the Oilers. And I'm thinking, why is the why is that not the headline? Because Jason Kenney decided, I can't even get 52% of my party to vote for me in a mail-in ballot that many people thought was going to be stacked for him. He resigns. Now there's question: will he stay on? Will he run again? And so what does that say? The bigger question, though, is what does this say about conservatives? Jason Kenney, not wanted by the United Conservative Party. Aaron O'Toole on the federal level was knifed in the front and the back. I, I spent 40 minutes on the phone with Ed Fast, who's a minister under Stephen Harper, and he's now the finance critic. He just resigned as the finance critic, and he was open. He said, there's members of my party like Pierre Polyevra, and what he's saying about crypto and the Bank of Canada is so out of line, so anathema to my version of conservatism that I have to speak out, and he's resigned now. Now, he's co-chairing the Charest campaign, but he's deeply worried that for guys like him, there's no place in the modern conservative party. So we'll talk about all that. 
and the Ontario election where, you know, two major candidates now have COVID. And I don't know what that says with two weeks left in the election. Zane Velge's back. Tim Powers is back. And Tom Mulcair now, he's doing uh, double duty on television. He's popular. He's popular. <laughs> uh, everyone loves Tom. I mean, <laughs> we call him Tomic. Thomas McDavid uh, there. Um, so, uh, Mick Mulcair, what's going on on that? Uh, what do you What did you think of Jason Kenney? Uh, Fifty. I mean, first the result, and then the what now question. Well, I always have perhaps a little bit more empathy than most with people who are in trouble with their party for for historic and personal reasons. But it was very interesting to watch. I was doing CTV uh, News Channel last night, and it kept getting pushed back. Oh, we'll have the results at this hour. Oh, and then we'll have the results. And the information I got from a couple of sources today was during that time, first of all, there was a big battle royal over counting. And second of all, Kenny was trying to negotiate a a soft exit because he knew he wasn't going to be able to stay around, despite having said that at 50.1, he wins and that's it. That's democracy. He's sticking around. He knew he couldn't. So he really wants to be able to stay on as premier. And uh, I guess we'll know from his caucus uh, in in very short order uh, how that turned out. Okay, let, let's talk about Tim bigger picture. What, what's going on in the Conservative Party? Like when I when I talked to uh, Ed Fast, he said, "Look, um, there's parts of our party now that are going to the right." He's deeply concerned about it. You wrote uh, a, a Hill Times article about Pierre Polyever, which is rare, you know, to do this in the middle of a um, leadership campaign. What's going on inside the party? Give us, peek us behind the curtain with the struggle right now to, to the, the different factions there that, that seem more than just a leadership race, but something higher stakes, as it were. Well, yeah, yeah. Look, uh, first of all, Ed Fast, first-class guy. I think it took a lot of courage for him to do what he did yesterday. Also, the finance critic, and as you pointed out, uh, it was a significant. He was was not an insignificant minister. He was a trade minister. So, to the issue he's speaking about, uh, which was uh, the reference to Pierre Polyev potentially firing Governor Macklin and cryptocurrency. Ed's been in the salons of the world. Yes, and I use the word salons. Talking. He went about to Davos. Selling- Yes, exactly. Selling Canada, selling Canada's stability of markets, stability of economic opportunity. So he knows firsthand what he's talking about uh, in terms of what comments like Pierre's, if they were ever to become real, could mean. So to answer your question, I think I, I think I heard Tom talking about this earlier as he was being McDavid Mulcair, and he was right in that you know the debate changed uh, things a little bit last week. I don't think it sank Pierre. I think he's still the front runner, but it did get people um, up and talking about okay, is he really serious about some of these unserious ideas that he's putting forward? That really, and I think this is part of what Ed said to you, cut at the Stephen. Harper brand, the Brian Mulroney brand, and that brand, whether you believe it or not, was we're competent economic managers. We're serious people who can govern the country's finances. We're not people who are just responding to the moment and trying to take advantage of people's anger. The last thing I'd say quickly on all of this, Evan, I I think there's an an anxiety or people are wanting to know if Pierre is serious about this, or maybe does Pierre learn a lesson from Jason's downfall yesterday? Day. Exactly. When you don't retreat, <laughs> yeah. when you just stick to attacking all the time, it can have pretty serious consequences for yeah. your own political future. Well, they used to say about Trump, you know, don't take him uh, literally, take him seriously, but you should take politicians both literally and seriously. Why not? Um, I uh, Here's what Ed Fassazane said to me this morning. I felt someone in our party had to challenge Pierre in his comment 
on the government uh, and the governor of the bank and on crypto and need to speak out. His, pol- his monetary policies are sounding very extreme. They're worrying investors around the world. Conservatives are not into scorched earth policies. We don't burn bridges. When we want change, we reform. But he's not doing that. He's going in after institutions that have sustained our economy and other countries. Suddenly, our central bank is the boogeyman. I have reminded my colleagues that our adversary is not Tiff Macklin. It's Justin Trudeau. It's his fiscal policies that have contributed to inflation. It's his incompetence. The government spent too much on stimulus. That's not the bank's fault. That's Ed Fast to me this way. What's happening inside here where even Ed Fast said to me, I can't believe it's radical for me to say, don't ask to fire the governor of the bank. That never used to be a radical statement. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, if I take you back to 2019 here in Alberta, to to loop it back to Jason Kenney to illustrate my point, one of the things we were doing on the Alberta NDP campaign and we're constantly frustrated by was pointing how far right Jason Kenney was, his social conservative past, his viewpoints, the advocacy against, you know, LGBTQ plus individuals in his younger days in San Francisco. And then what would happen? Jason Kenney would get to a mic and he'd look, not look anything like the monster we said he was because he had this unbelievable political skill to moderate. And who knew three years later that moderation within the Conservative Party is actually an Achilles heel? And I feel like this party is now going through a phase, not just on do we want someone who is more centrist versus more far right? We already know where the general direction is. Jason Kenney's a proof point. This guy was a right wing candidate. And the party said, leave, we're moving further to the right. And so there's, there's not just that particular, do we want a, a tinge of, of centrism or do we want to be further right? But I think the fundamental thing that's happening that we should talk about more within the conservative movement is a top or bottom, a class warfare that's happening. If you look at everything Pierre Polyevre is talking about, it's related to class as much as it is to the political spectrum being tethered further to the right. And I think that's the missing link that, that uh, is perhaps not being talked about as much. You know, despite the seriousness or lack of seriousness of some of his policy proposals, this is where he thinks the ground is to be uh, to be won and the war is to be waged heading into the next general election, which is can the conservatives of 2022 and beyond really try to paint themselves against elites and for the working class? And if you look at how they're trying to win, you may see the Pierre Polyev campaign perhaps have a better pathway based on those class grounds than on the centrist versus far right grounds that many are simply proposing this on. All right. I got I got less than a minute, though. Uh, Tom or, or Tim, do you just want to weigh in literally with a haiku? Well, I, I think that Jason Kenney is an object lesson for Pierre Poiliev. But don't forget that if Poiliev does win this thing, and to, to Tim's point before, what I had said is I don't think he can win it on the first round, which I thought he could do until he performed so badly in that debate. But if he looks at what's happening to Kenny, he's going to take the three years that he has, because, of course, with the right. Trudeau-Singh deal, it's going to be three years to the next election, and start moderating and start showing that he's oh. got some serious stuff. But the crazy stuff is what he believes is necessary to win his party, which is frankly uh, terrifying because it says everything Tim, you need to know about the state of that party. Tim, Tom, Zane, the war room, back in session twice. Thanks, gents. Uh, we're going to focus in on the Ontario election next. Stay with us. You're listening to the iHeartRadio Talk Network, and this is The Evan Solomon Show. 
Overhyped and underplayed. It's Thursday. It's time for the great and powerful Scott Reed. Overhyped. Great jobs and opportunity. In this election, here's what I want to do. Or underplayed. You know, we're going to deal with monkeypox next with Dr. Isaac Bogosh. Monkeypox, Reed. Come on. When I saw that, didn't you think, is it enough already? Can we, like, is someone kidding me? Monkey yeah, pox? It, it sounds like a George Merrill firm uh, film, and uh, it's, I just don't want anything to do with it. I don't want to hear about it. Literally, I know that prevention and knowledge and information are my greatest tools, but I, I sort of feel like after the past two years, I, I need to wait until it's literally yeah. banging on my front door before I, like, you, you know, know, focus on this. It's, it's just, like, uh, like, if they called it kitten pox, would that be worse? Because I'm not, it's not like I'm running into a monkey. But I know when one of my kids years ago got, someone said, oh, they got foot and mouth disease, which is like hoof and mouth. You know, like kids get that. And you're like, what, what is that? And you know, you're like a young dad. You're like, what is foot and mouth disease? That sounds gross. They're, Have your kids been in a, sta- a stable? No, but it's just a thing. Monkeypox may not have anything to do with monkeys, but if you actually get it, does it sound gross? Like, did you have monkeypox? Yeah, I got monkeypox. It's like, it's a bad name. It's a bad name. First of all, it it, it it immediately tells me that, one, I'm going to get an uh, absolutely um, undealable with rash. And second, I'm going to revert. Again, I'm going to I don't want to say right? that, like, but another, another one of your undealable rashes. That's right. And I'm just coming off of one. And, uh, you know, and, and, and I'm going to devolve. Like my head is going to slope. My forehead's going to slope. I, I'm going to, I'm going to like, I'm going to lose the power of mathematics. Like, you know, it, so it's my just, thumbs it's, don't work. Exactly. Oh, God, I know that's, I don't want to overhype or underplay that. I'll, I'll get to that. Um, the Ontario election campaign. This is, I, Andrea Horvath is in her fourth shot. She, the polls say she's in third. There's two weeks left, and she contracts COVID. By the way, I hope she's well. So does Mike Schreiner in the Green Party. Is it overhyped or underplayed this close to the end of the line of the election to be knocked on your butt with COVID right now? It's one million percent underplayed you know like one million percent because we're also <laughs> inoculated agree. to this oh you know somebody got a somebody got covid you know my friend got covid oh yeah they can't make baseball practice can't do this or away from work for two days all that sort of stuff like no right andrea horvath leads the official opposition she's got to win or it's the end of her career in politics and She's now dropped to a very clear third, like a significant third, probably going to lose a ton of seats in, in four and six in Toronto, right? Fighting for her life in Southwest Ontario and Northern Ontario might get hammered there too. These numbers are danger zone. We might be looking at fighting for the furniture kind of territory within a week. And you kind of lose, you can't afford to lose five days on the campaign trail. It's five just, days it's out of massive, 14. Massive, you are done. Blow. It's, it's like, I can't, blow. like if you're a candidate and, by the way, that's five days by law she's got to isolate, but I've had COVID. You can be a couple of days just kind of fluey and crappy sick. Then it can linger for weeks coughing. You know, you just, you just, you're, 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 you're technically sure. out, but then you're coughing and you're tired. Like if you are that team right now and you've been in these rooms, I don't know what, what do you do? What's the playbook here? 
Well, you're, I mean, you, you find, you find someone to be a stand in as the leader, um, you know, see if you can get somebody out there that can uh, quickly adapt, put a bit of a fresh face. Maybe it captures you to some additional media attention, uh, the novelty of it all. And you hope to just power through, but look, this campaign, because of where they are in the numbers and the calendar days left, they're already having to make horrifying decisions. Where do they pull their volunteers? Yeah. Do they rip them out of the 416 where it looks like they have no chance of keeping those incumbent seats like how do you do that to your incumbents do you put them into southwestern ontario we need to fight the conservatives so they're already facing gruesome horrible i know i've been there kinds of decisions and oh, now man. your leader is down it's really bad by the way i don't know if she's symptomatic or not i don't know if we know i don't know that, either but i want to reiterate your thing like i mean it, it's easy to talk about this and just you know political analysis terms but obviously i do hope she's feeling well yeah yeah no it, well it can back. be serious and, and i hope both her and and, and, and mike schreiner are, are fine but it just shows you, A, COVID's still a factor. And on a campaign, when you're the face of that party and have been for now four elections, to get knocked out on five days in the home stretch is an absolute, you cannot overhype this. It is massively underplayed. But, uh, and, and as you say, if she, you know, in two weeks, her political career, as however great it's been, is done. Jason Kenney overhyped or underplayed in the big picture, his resignation underplayed and it's and it's underplayed because i i mean people are making this observation but i don't think that they're digesting this uh association like it's underplayed in my opinion because it isn't just a story of jason kenny um and i should say i like jason i've known him for quite a while worked as an opponent of his in many campaigns and many circumstances but i have immense respect for the guy's um political abilities and i like him personally but you know, here's the truth of the matter, and this is why this issue is underplayed because it has such a much broader significance. He united that party and created that party by pe feeding people their grievance, by telling a group of people, you're darn right, let's run against government, let's run against the institutions. I'm going to tell you that you are darn right that you can't trust anybody in charge and you're darn right you can't and you can't trust government except he found himself in charge and he found himself leading the government and guess what people took his advice and the implication is this if you practice populist grievance politics and tell people that way tear down the castle when you're the king of the castle it's you that they're going to be tearing down and so cpc leadership debates Pierre Polyev, all those peddling in this pool of grievance, be careful what you wish for. He is a cautionary tale, is Jason Kenney. Peter McKay recently said to me, you can feed the beast. If you keep feeding it, eventually the beast will swallow you. That is the story of populism, he said. And you can't feed the beast or it will swallow you. And that's his warning. And the beast has just swallowed Jason Kenney. Now, there's other things with Jason Kenney. Let, let, let's be clear. There's not just one thing. We always like to reduce things to the one thing. But, you know, he played a lot of things poorly in the pandemic. And he didn't listen to his caucus. And he didn't do lots of things. But his loss is hard to just uh, overhype. I think it's significant. I got a couple minutes here. Um... Let's go for the monarchy on the bingo card today. Uh, overhyped or underplayed Charles visit and the and the relevance of the monarchy in Canada, Scott Reed. I think it's underplayed. I think that this campaign is doing more quiet damage. Well, that's Jason Kenny calling you. 
It hey, is, yes. Hey, please. Scott, Scott, I, we were never that close. Don't say that we liked each other. <laughs> Just kidding. Knock it off. I got no time for you, buddy. You, are, you were never. Politics, what are you I'm talking about? We're good friends. I got friends. time on my hands. You and your um, BS political okay. eulogies. <laughs> sorry, I'm sorry. I don't know how to make this stop. It's our friends of CTV calling. I'm going to uh, pop oh. into them in a minute. Look, I think it's underplayed because I oh, think Oh, you have that to go. Yeah, you have to go into it. Okay, give me the th- 60 minutes. seconds and I'll let you go. I think it's underplayed because I don't think that we're fully freighting the significance of this visit. I think in a weird way, you go, well, another royal visit, whatever. I don't know. To me, the pictures, the images, the not quite on target talk about indigenous crown relations, I think all of it just sends a signal of, wow, man, this feels stale and contrived and strained and anachronistic. And I'm a royal supporter, but boy, man, I tell you, I look at that and I say to myself, it's a time capsule. It feels like its day is over. Listen, uh, you're going to go on CTV now. When we see you in a couple minutes, folks, on CTV, can you give us radio listeners like maybe a little signal like flex or something? Give us a little like touch your nose so we know that you're still kind of one of us here on the radio. Well, as uh, listeners may know, I do have I, an I love Evan heart tattooed on my left bicep. So I'll just flex it on air and everybody will uh, get the joke. What's incredible is that you actually think if you flexed your bicep, we could see it. But anyway, whatever. <laughs> Scott Reed. My God. Scott, good luck on TV. You're you're cruel, cruel. Friend. <laughs> Come on. Come on, the garter snake doesn't flex. All right, um, that's that's Scott Reed. Flex the bi. He thinks he's going to flex his bicep on television, and we're going to see the tattoo, which, by the way, is a remarkable piece of work. <laughs> okay, listen. You probably have heard about monkeypox. I have no idea. I said earlier, my bingo card from hell did not have monkeypox on it. Doctor Isaac Bogos is going to tell us what that is. As this story changes, we react. This is the Evan Solomon Show. Well, according to Montreal Public Health, like in Montreal, 17 suspected cases of monkeypox last week. Monkeypox? It's Thursday, May 19th. And the world just got a little weirder. Now, how freaked out should you be? Well, the word monkeypox just freaks out people. Sounds bad. Looks bad. How bad is it? Dr. Isaac Bogosh is, thankfully, an infectious disease specialist. And for the first time in two and a half years, we're not talking about COVID. We're talking now about monkeypox. Hi, Doc. Oh, my God. Hey, Evan. Great chat. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm glad it's not COVID. It's so nice to talk about something other than COVID. Sorry we have another plague to deal with. Like, is monkeypox, when you're studying infectious diseases, is that like on the, you know, sort of the first page? It's like there's there's different kind of viruses and, oh, yeah, the old monkeypox. Or is that like deep in the course? Where you're like, And there's also, in a rare thing, monkeypox. Oh, it's a real thing. And, you know, those of us who did training in uh, tropical infectious diseases and global health would would learn about this and, and certainly know about this. And if you follow this area closely, uh, long before this recent outbreak, uh, there have been other uh, localized outbreaks where it's endemic in West and Central Africa. There's been exported cases in the past, especially over the last decade. Like, 
there are people that know about this and follow this closely and study this. Not many, but there are there are some of us around. So what is it? It's a viral infection. Uh, the it's it's a classic example of what we call a zoonosis, meaning the infection resides in a non-human animal. In this case, it's likely a rodent in uh, Central or West Africa. It can jump from an- non-human animal to human, which we know it does, it, and then it can have human-to-human transmission. Uh, it's related to, but not the same as, uh, smallpox, which is a nasty infection that was eradicated from Earth. It's on the milder end of the spectrum compared to smallpox, and most people will have the classic uh, fever, uh, headache, mu- muscle aches and pains, and then a couple of days later, they'll have this pretty impressive uh, rash that's the closest thing people might have seen is uh, something that looks like chicken pox, but it's, it's, it's a little bit different than that, but that's the closest thing people would recognize. And then most people get better. There, there obviously are you know, cases that are on the more severe end of the spectrum, but most people get better. Okay. Is there a treatment? Absolutely. Usually no treatment is warranted, uh, but in severe cases, there are a couple of drugs that are available. These are drugs that are really interestingly designed for smallpox, um, because they're so closely related, these drugs are thought would be thought to work for monkeypox. And again, like uh, I'm not trying to sweep anything under the rug. This is this is an issue. This is a problem. Uh, this is you know on the larger end of monkeypox outbreaks outside of these uh, endemic countries. Uh, but uh, you know it's 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 not. This isn't COVID, right? This is not as transmissible, for example, as other... Okay, but somebody said in an article, viral. there's no treatment available in Canada. You just got to wait till the ulcers heal. Is that true? Is it painful? Well, like, be, no, I mean, it's like, it, it, this will resolve on its own with time, just like people, again, this is not the chicken pox, but just like people who had chicken pox waited out and, you know, ultimately uh, uh, several days or a week later, things start to improve. That's the, this is, that's the natural history of this infection. And there are medications. There'd be you know, you'd have to leave it up to your healthcare team to get. You're not going to pick it up at the corner pharmacy. But there are medications that can be used to treat this. The other thing, too, is there's vaccines to prevent this as well. Right? There are people, maybe some listening, who were born in the 70s or earlier who had a smallpox vaccine. And the smallpox vaccine programs usually stopped in the 70s or 80s, depending on where you were in the world. And that provides cross-protection against monkeypox. So, like, our kids... Didn't get that though. Nope. Okay. So 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 now is that a new thing? Are we going to have to take a vac? Like how is the because I've heard there's two strains of this. Um, yeah. That there's a a more severe strain from Central Africa and the the, yeah. the the Democratic Republic of Congo and there's a West African less strain. Is this a thing now? Like are we living with monkeypox now? Is this a thing? No, I think this will burn out. I don't know when, but this will. You know, there'll be good public health. They'll do contact tracing. They'll identify cases. In the UK, for example, they're doing what's called the ring vaccination program, where you find a case and then you look for all the close contacts of that case and you can vaccinate them. Uh, and this this is a very successful method to uh, to stop these uh, epidemics from propagating. Um, and, I, you know, I think it's going to take time. I think we're certainly going to see cases rise. Uh, like rise to uh, what? Like we got 17 cases in Quebec. Are we talking about rising to 10,000 or rising to 200? Um, so first of all, it's so hard to hazard a guess because you just don't know what the scope of the problem is right now. 
But in a perfect world, you'll see cases rise for, and again, I have no idea. This is pure speculation. You'll probably see cases rise for a few weeks until people recognize what this is and public health programs kick into high gear uh, and sort out how they're going to get this under control with ring vaccine programs and public education and, you know, coordinating a, a, a response. But, you know, hopefully this will be petering out in, you know, the next month or two. But again, I, I, I got to ca- have a huge caveat that we just we just don't know. But but are guys like you, infectious disease specialist, Dr. Bogosh, is everyone is there like, OK, hospitals are like everybody bone up on the monkeypox sitch. Yeah. How do you recognize yeah. it? What do you need? Everyone's getting information out right now. hundred percent. That's what, all this is happening behind the scenes. Your infection prevention and control teams are aware. Most clinicians are, are are increasingly aware. There's communications that are going out. Like this is this is all happening. And as of about 48 hours ago, at least in Canada and perhaps longer, perhaps in uh, in like the United Kingdom, where they had this, where they had this first, uh, where it was first identified. The other thing to remember too is like we're dealing with this for the first time, but. If you live in Nigeria, Democratic Republic of Congo, Cameroon, I mean, it's not uncommon to have outbreaks of this. It, it, it just isn't uncommon. And you know what? Here's the other important point, too, not to be all doom and gloom, but like we're going to see more of this, right? There, we have a waning immunity from the smallpox vaccine program. These programs stopped about 40 years ago. We have a giant population that's under the age of 40 who have never received a smallpox vaccine and so have no immunity. Uh, So the outbreaks are expected to be larger and larger as time goes on in the countries of origin. And then we have a very mobile population and tremendous global mobility. And, uh, you know, long before COVID, these these conversations were happening about, you know, what's going to be the monkeypox situation uh, globally. Yeah, yeah. So, and what, is there anything we can do to prevent it? Like before, outside the shot, no. you have to like, well, it's just like if you get it, how do you contract it? Is it airborne or, or touching or what is it? Oh, great point. So, again, step one is it's fair to say that we don't have all the information because it's, it's a neglected infection. No one, sadly, in high income countries, we don't care as much as we should about diseases and infections that primarily affect low income countries. So there's unfortunately not a ton of data, but there is some. And the big risk factors are direct contact with an infected person, close contact with an infected person. But you also can't ignore that there can be distant contact through the air uh, of of an infected person. But that's not to say this is, Hmm. you know, as transmissible as something like measles. Like, we know that that's not the case. There's we know that's not the case. But. You know, if someone's sick in hospital, we'd, we'd certainly put them in an, uh, their own room and have masks on everybody going into the room. So, um, you know, it, it is a, it is, it's a communicable infectious disease. It absolutely is. Great. We'll West okay. Nile. We will be. You got, you got West Nile. You got, uh, yeah. you know, you, 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 you got Lyme's disease with the ticks. You got. Pox. Don't. Oh, God. Zika, remember a few years ago? Yeah, Zika. Virus epidemic. Listen, sadly, we're in an era of, uh, there's a lot of drivers, right? There's climate I know, but can we like, can't we talk about the Jays or can't we talk about the battle for Alberta? Like, how about Calgary? Beating the Oilers last nine six after, and the Oilers come back from four down and it's six six. 
That's that what I want to talk with Bogosh about. That's what Dr. Bogosh should be talking about. But he's like, hey, what about that great playoff game? Also, look out for monkeypox. Thanks, Doc. No, seriously. You're the best. Thanks, bud. Uh, we've got to take a short break, monkeypox. Oh, oh, wait to hear what Dan Riskin has to say later in the show, too. Talking to the newsmakers every day. The conversation continues with Evan Solomon. It's your turn, one 1010 or 71010. I just, there's so much on the plate that I want to make sure you get a shot. For those of you who vote conservative, are you worried about who belongs in that party? Jason Kenney, ousted. Couldn't get the support. Was that just pure, the guy ran a bad leadership, or is there something else? Is, was he pushed out by that those group of 18 MLAs? We spoke to one of them who just didn't like how he handled COVID. Too many mandates. Ed Fast, international trade minister under Stephen Harper, had the credentials, resigns as the finance critic because he says he, he doesn't think Pierre Polyev's criticism of the Bank of Canada and many members in his own caucus. He said most of the caucus supports Pierre. He didn't like it. He's not sure there's room. I mean, he's part of it. And he, he's not trying to divide the party, but he's, he's deeply, deeply concerned. He told me that. I mean, Aaron O'Toole lost, tried to yank the party to the center. Maybe the party doesn't want to go to the center. one 1010 or 71010. Doug Ford, on the other hand, has tacked hard to the center. Hard to the center. You want an industrial policy of supporting companies with taxpayer money, like car companies? Done. You don't want uh, you don't want balanced books? Done. You want heavy spending? Done. You want to raise the minimum wage? I used to oppose it. Done. I, you want me to? Shake hands and hug Christian Freeland and and Justin Trudeau. Done. Put him in the lead. By the way, Andrea Horvath, who's the leader of the official opposition, I hope she's okay. She's got COVID, as does Mike Schreiner, which means that basically one of his biggest foes is off the campaign trail for almost 40% of the rest of the campaign. So uh, if you want to talk about that, let me know. You want to talk about the monarchy? One, it's, this is your turn, one 1010 or 71010. Um, I also want to play you maybe one of the greatest gaffes in history by the former U.S. President George W. Bush. But let, let's get uh, Andrew on the line. Andrew, what's up? Hey, Evan, I got two uh, things. I'll make a comment about the uh, conservative and then uh, maybe a suggestion for a topic. Uh, one, I think the uh, issue with Kenny is not that he was, uh, people wanted him too extremist, like the other person said. The issue is that citizens just want the no bull crap politicians that actually use science. Um, and, you know, if you look at Pierre Polyev increasing in the ranks, you look at Kenny decreasing, you look at Maxim Bernier, who's actually got more uh, votes um, than Jagmeet 
dancing and wasn't allowed on the debate stage, and he wasn't even um, considered in the media. They all branded him as extremist and radical and far right. And you look at Eric Duham in Quebec in the last 60 years, conservative parties was, wasn't the op- official opposition. They're going to be. Mm. The issue is not extreme versus far left or far right. People want science-based directives and, 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 and things the government, and they're fed up with the lies. They're fed up with but, the but, media. But, but, the, but, but the what do you mean? But, so, but who's science? The, the go- you think the so, government... Uh, you don't think... I'm just asking. I, hang on. I don't want okay. to get into the... I know the lies of the media and the, and the government, but, but like Teresa Tam is our chief health scientist. Let's go back to that. Is that... Was she not a scientist enough? Is that a lie? No. No, she lied, just like the government, because every other week the science changed and the goalposts changed. And I'll give you an example, perfect example. I only talk facts, no conspiracy. Over and over and over in Quebec, across Canada, nothing but the TV and Nouvelle and CBC and CTV kept pushing. 75 to 95 percent of Canadians and Quebecers want mask mandates, they want restrictions, they want forced vaccinations. Just last week they said that. Saturday, Quebec dropped the official mask mandate. You can't find more than five people in a cinema of over 2,000 people wearing a mask. Good for them. They want great. You go to grocery stores. You go to cinemas. But, but, go anywhere. Uh, okay, okay, and nobody, but, well, let me finish. Let me finish. Nobody's wearing a mask. Nobody in the media is talking about it. How is it every single government publication justifying their restrictions for, for taking away our liberties for two years? Uh, can I, can I answer now? You, do, do you mind? You know what the vaccine... Well, like Pierre... Well, but no, but listen, you're missing a major point, though. Like, I don't understand. Like, like, I know you're into science. I know you're into science, but it's vaccine rates. Vaccine rates in Canada are high. Yes. Like, like we have fully vaccinated population now. We've given out 84, almost 85 million doses. We've got 31 million fully vaccinated people in Canada. 82.5% of our population is men. So you say, hey, it was all a lie. Look at all these people. Don't wear a mask. Two things. COVID rates are dropping. This is not nearly as deadly a strain. And we've got 83% of the population fully vaccinated. So yeah, and by the way, a lot of other people like me have had COVID. So, so like you're, it doesn't mean that everything that came before is a lie. That's not science. You're missing a big piece of the pie there. So, so like, again, it's not the media lying. The science is 82% of the population took fully vaccinated. And now you can go to the cinema. You should be on the other hand saying, I guess it all worked. All right. Uh, Jamie, what's up? Hey, Evan, a big fan of the show. Uh, listen, uh, the previous caller uh, is exactly what I'm concerned about. Uh, I've been a longtime conservative, uh, fiscally responsible, but I don't know what's happened to our party. Is it, uh, it seems to be this loud, very angry group that wants to debunk science and facts in our government institutions as a big lie, and, and I'm terrified. I think the majority of the people that I know, uh, who are, I'll call fiscally responsible and socially responsible, Wonder where their party is, and I don't. I don't know who to vote for anymore. Certainly at the federal level. A couple of things. I think a lot of conservatives are fiscally responsible still. I, um, but I think we got to figure out. And I'm with you. I don't know what it stands for yet. I'm just trying to figure it out. But you know, uh, Ed Fast 
who's a longtime conservative and just stepped down as the finance critic, but he's been a longtime conservative MP and a a minister under Stephen Harper, said, you know, conservatives don't burn things down. When we want to change institutions, we want to reform institutions. We preserve institutions. We, We trust institutions. That's why we are conservative. We're not radicals. And yet he's saying, like he said, I don't know what's going on. We we are fiscally conservative. Um, He said, you know, Preston Manning told me to, you know, why are we against the environmentalism to conserve? Conservation is part of being a conservative that Preston Manning told me that. So these are things that are these are like, are these people no longer conservative enough is a genuine question. I, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. Again, I, I only recently, like in the past two years, became a member of the party. And I just, the messaging that comes through to us as members is like, there doesn't seem to be, I'll say, you know, more of a progressive view or, you know, it's just always anti-environment. And I, I'll tell you what, put all the other rhetoric about the guy talking about science. If this party doesn't come up with a credible environmental platform this next election not a single person under the age of 30 is going to vote for us and if we don't get those votes we're not winning anything in 416 or 514 yeah jamie listen i appreciate the call i I would just say two things should should political parties question institutions and and conventional wisdom yes that's what you got to put on the table but you know it it takes an engineering degree to build something and it takes anybody with a match to burn it down and we should be careful. There's no skill being an arson. It's much harder to build than to destroy. And I'm always interested in politicians of any stripe who want to build. And a poli- it's easy to light it up and watch it destroyed. The barrier to entry to be an arsonist is low. The barrier to entry to be a builder is high. I'm interested in finding builders not arsonists. And I don't care what political stripe you're on. So I always accept criticism. And I think institutions and politicians should accept it. But I think we've got to be very careful before we burn down institutions. Peter, go for it. Hey, I, I think the conservative is going to become more and more right. And um, I think part of it is because the, the, the left, the liberals, have become more and more left. And I think it, it, there's two extremes. And I think a big part of it is because of a lot of the media and, and, and the censorship of online social media. It causes a lot of distrust and all the history. When you have doctors come out and scientists and say stuff, they're debated. And you have both sides. And I think over the last couple of years, the, specifically media talk show radio and, and news media and government, they, they brand people one way and they ban them and censor them and call them names but, and brand yeah. them as extremists. And it causes people to hate the government, hate the media, hate the news instead of... I think there's a lot of... I think there's a lot of distress, but I mean, I just... Like, I get it, but who's... How badly censored are people? We do talk radio, you can post on the internet. All right, I, I gotta take a break. I, I'm just wondering, are we... Is, we're not in Russia. We're not in Russia. Uh, Dan Riskin's next. Hang in there, folks. When important decisions are made, we report. Here's Evan Solomon. Time for Riskin' It All with our pal Dan Riskin. It's good for you overall. Yeah, this is great. This is It's a dream, man. The headline is Riskin' It All. Yeah, I think that's where we're going with this. With Dan Riskin. You know, 
I just thought, you know, you want to be attractive to someone. You just put on some cologne and you, you, you make sure your clothes are clean. You got to look good. If you're a guy, you got to make sure you're wearing shoes. Shoes matter. And, and, you know, that's the thing. Maybe shave, brush your hair. Turns out, actually, that's all a lie. None of that matters. All you've got to do is have a brain-altering parasite, and then you'll be hotter. Yeah, it's all about the parasite. And welcome, Dan Riskin. Hello, sir. Hello, you good-looking man. I don't know if I'm good-looking. I may be parasite-free. All that, all that stuff about look sharp, feel sharp might have nothing to do. Tell me how a brain-altering parasite can make us seem more attractive. This is a brain-altering parasite that is best studied in animals, but it does sometimes infect people. And so it's a, it's a parasite, and what it's trying to do is get into a cat. It wants to get into either a house cat or a tiger or a lion or whatever, and then it can reproduce. But anytime it gets into another kind of mammal or other kind of bird, it kind of does its thing and goes towards the brain and then kind of stops and waits to hopefully be eaten by a cat. That's kind of their, their trajectory. <laughs> wow. And so one of the neat things about them is that sometimes when they get into the brain of some of these prey animals, they, they change the behavior of the animal. And so there's a whole bunch of studying about whether they can change human behavior too. But first, let me tell you what they do to rats. So a rat, normally, if it smells the urine of a cat, it's terrified. Instinctively, it knows that that's a scary smell and it runs away. But if the rat is controlled by this parasite that gets into its brain, it changes its mind about how it feels about urine of cats, and it finds that sexually attractive, and it gets aroused by it sexually. And so it hangs out where there's lots of cat urine and is more likely to be eaten by a cat, and thus the parasite completes its life cycle getting into a cat. So it's a genius parasite. Wow. But sometimes it gets into people. And originally we thought it didn't do anything in people. How, sorry, how does it get to people? I hear it's sexually transmitted. Another great No, no, moment. no. It's, it's not sexually transmitted. It's like you can get it from eating uncooked meats or you can get it oh. from uh, changing the kitty litter is one place that people can get it quite frequently. And in oh. fact, it's been shown that it's if you're a pregnant woman and you uh, change the kitty litter and you get infected with the parasite while you're pregnant, um, it can be bad for the fetus. So that's Yeah, my wife didn't, yeah, when my wife was pregnant, she said, you know, you're on the kitty litter. By the way, it yep. never changed. I'm still that's on it. That's why. It's because of this parasite. Yeah. And so um, we thought that was the only bad thing it did to people. But since then, there's been a bunch of studies that show that, like, you can look, take a blood sample from people and see if their immune systems have been exposed to it. So you know if they've got the parasite or not. And studies have started to show that this does things to people, like it reduces their reaction time such that they're more likely to die in a car accident, which doesn't help the parasite, but it's just a weird quirk that has happened. Unless you die in a car accident and then they are subsequently eaten by some lurking tigers or cats, which then the parasite's like, wow, what a great moment. Yeah, Saturday Night Live, when I was a kid, had something called Toonsa's the Driving Cat, and I'm sure that ties into this somehow. <laughs> right, okay, but... good, good. Anyway, so so yeah, it affects people that way, and some more studies have shown that it affects personality a little bit, and in some cases, it may trigger schizophrenia and other kinds of mental health problems, so it could be a much bigger deal than we realize. Now, in Canada, it's estimated that about one out of every eight people have this parasite, but in One other out places, of every eight people? I know, it's a big number. It's, it's around... It's, it's a big Stop number. the freaking presses! What? What? I know. I and we, you just go about it and you go about your business, but it, it's slightly changing the personalities of Canadians. Sorry, it, sorry, it, sorry. Let's just halt on the cat 
loving. We haven't even gotten brain. to the, how it makes you good looking yet. We're still yeah, in the no, basics because, of like wait, the biology of this thing. Our listeners right now are like, wait, every eighth person I look has a, has this parasite of Toxoplasma Gandhi. What? Toxoplasma Gandhi. Yeah. Oh my so, yeah. Christmas. I know. I know. And in other parts of the world, it's more common. So in, in Brazil, it's thought to be two thirds of people. Oh, in God. South Korea, it's less than 5%. So it really depends uh, on, on the different places. Now, what are they changing? Cat is, so you're saying it's not sexually transmitted. It's like cat litter. No. What is everyone changing their bloody cat no, litter? No, but you can get it from undercooked meats. You can get oh, it from my like God. There okay. are a bunch of other get ways. Get to the good looking part because so far I'm done. This is a downer. Okay, so far it is a downer, but it turns out what they did is this study, it was researchers from all over the place, and they took a bunch of undergrads uh, in Mexico, and they tested their blood, and some of them had exposure to the parasite, they have the brain parasite, and some of them don't. And then what they did is they showed, first of all, they asked those people, like, how good looking do you think you are? How many sexual partners have you had in the last little while? And they found some trends. One thing is people that have the parasite tend to find themselves more attractive, which doesn't really mean they are more attractive, but it's interesting. And uh, women who have the parasite have had tend to have more sexual partners in their past than people who don't have the parasite, which again, you're not exactly sure how that fits in, but here's the kicker. They took pictures of the people who did or did not have the parasite right. and obviously didn't tell the, 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 the people looking at the pictures, anything about the parasite. They just told them pictures and said, rate how good looking these people are. And consistently the people with the parasite are better looking, which is weird. Why? 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 I know. I mean, it makes a little sense if you're the parasite, because maybe the parasite is trying to be more social. And so if you're good looking, maybe you'll have more partners and you'll hang around with more people. And there's more chance for transmission. But how on earth does a brain parasite make you better looking? Yes. Like, so, what would it be? And do we so know? Faces, well, the faces were a little bit more symmetrical. And that's been shown in a whole bunch of studies to correlate with whether people find you attractive right. or not. Of course, okay. these are all totally subjective and, and beauty's within and all that stuff. But when you when you have like a people rating pictures, people tend to rate pictures that are more symmetrical higher than pictures that are less symmetrical. Like Denzel Washington has a super symmetrical face. And so he people find him very good looking. And so there are um, a bunch of examples of this all over the literature. And what they found in the study was it was the people with more symmetrical faces that were that had the parasite. So they didn't answer the question of whether the parasite changed the person or whether people that are good looking are more likely to get themselves that parasite. That wasn't answered. Really, this, this study just opened up more wow. questions than it answered. But wow. it's a counterintuitive thing because typically if somebody's got a parasite, that should affect their body in such a way that you think they are less attractive. You think over evolution, you'd be like, you know what? One of the things that humans have developed in the over evolution is if someone's got a parasite, they're going to become less attractive. Right. right. Maybe yes. our evolution could trump the parasite's evolution. Yeah. You, you would think so. But this is a this is a crafty parasite. Now, this I, is so it's a it's not a huge sample size. It's like no, about no. 100 people or so that they've got that they've shown these pictures of. And it's just from one region and it's just one age group. And Jeez. there could be some like it could be a, like just a roll of the dice that happened to come out as significant. It could be just a funny sample they chose. I but think but maybe does it alter our brain? So it just has a little thing that makes us think someone's attractive. So it's not the people that are looking that have the right. It's, it's the, the people, people that have it. Who's oh my god? It's, they're just in a picture. There's nothing you can so possibly every, do every, as a brain parasite. So you find someone it. attractive. You're like, you know, is it is it is it is it 
is it her or is it, is it the parasite? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's going to make you double guess everything. And what's cool is the, the oh, paper, God. I'll send this to you and then you can retweet it. But what they've done is they've taken like a whole bunch of faces of people that do have the parasite and a whole bunch of faces of people that don't have the parasite oh, and made an God. average face out of that. And you can look at the two pictures and one of them is better looking than the other one. And it's the average for the people who do have the parasite. Oh, now, again, God. I think it might just be a statistical quirk and this definitely needs to be right. repeated. And it's in a journal called Peer J, which is not a very high tier uh, journal. It's a good journal. I've actually published there. So it's, it's a good, you know, good for me, but it, it like, like it'll take my papers, but it's not, it's not a it, super high tier journal. Listen, so listen. take it with a grain of salt. Okay, folks, that, that is risking it all with Dan Riskin. And just remember, is it me or is it the parasite? You just might, you're not as good looking as you think. You might just have a parasite. Holy mackerel. One in eight. That was gross. Dan Riskin, you are the absolute best guy, parasite or not. I'll see you all You're on PowerPlay. Looking good, Evan. Thanks. Looking good. See you on PowerPlay.